Let's stand and read God's word together. Today's scripture is from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is also able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You guys can take a seat. Thanks, Abby. <clears throat> well, I know it's been said a few times, but good morning again. My name is uh, Sean. I'm the lead pastor teaching us here for Redemption Peoria. Uh, if you're new to Redemption, just come in to check us out or whatever it is. Just to know Redemption Church is one church, nine different congregations throughout the state of Arizona, seven of which are here in the valley. Each one of those congregations is like Redemption Peoria in that it is elder-led and lead pastor-led. So uh, I operate as an elder and lead pastor here for Redemption Peoria. We have philosophical reasons as to why we do things the way that we do, theological reasons, and you may have questions about that. Um, you may have questions, honestly, about the church in general. Feel free, myself and some of the leaders will be out as you go to the right. We'll be out there. We can answer any questions you have about how we operate and all that stuff. I'd love to help you navigate that. I will say this, though. If you're new, uh, one of the things that you can be aware of from the jump is that we believe the best way to spend Sunday mornings and the best way to understand the Bible is to go at verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And so we just finished the book of Philippians. Next week, we'll go into the book of Exodus. But we had a two-week period uh, where we wanted to take a break from that and talk about something specific. And uh, what we were trying to get at during this season here at Redemption Peoria is thinking through what does it mean as we're four years in now, almost five years in, to be um, part of, to be uh, committed to and belong to a church. And so John actually started the first of those two weeks last week and making kind of this declaration, you know, he used the analogy of a battleship and a cruise ship. And, and I just want to say up front, I recognize some of you coming into the door, you may go, you know, this isn't a huge mega church, but it's kind of large. It's hard to get connected. Here's just, let me just catch you early on this. Um, it's a huge conviction of ours for you to recognize that we're not trying to do this church incorporated thing. And so if you want to be a part of here, it may be okay for you not to know everyone, but we're not going to be okay with you not being known. And so we're going to keep pushing you into community, making sure that you have a circle of people in this body that you can talk to. And we want to continue to dive in to each other's lives. And we understand that may be difficult the larger we get, but the reality is, as John said, we're not just a cruise ship going along and having our needs met with the idea of consumerism being the banner that we wave. But rather, we're going to be a people who is dying to each other, dying to the Lord for the cause of the kingdom. And that requires a lot of um, being involved in ways that might make you uncomfortable. One of the ways that we, we talk, like serving in children, serving in setup. There's a whole group here that gets here every morning, sets up, which is amazing. The, the band, if you're gifted in that, whatever it is, right? Uh, greeting, there's all these ways to give uh, that we talked about being uh, part of or belonging or being committed to a church. And one of the things that we need to talk about in response to kind of all that stuff, uh, you know, being the mantra, being belonging and committing and all that stuff, is giving. And so today, part two of that, is we want to take a specific Sunday to talk about giving. And um, I want to pray for us, but before I do, I just want to kind of open up um, about what we're going to talk about today. Uh, as a matter of fact, there was a, 
Uh, somebody had contacted me about bringing a large group, almost 200 people, to our church uh, this Sunday. And, and I, I cautioned them and said, hey, it's great. I'm glad you want to come. But honestly, it might be better if you don't. Because this Sunday, we're going to be talking about giving. Um, and, and, and as much as like, I want to like, explain why, which I will, uh, why that is humorous to those of you who are new to the faith, there's also a side of this that we feel like it's kind of an in-house conversation. Uh, and so here's what I want to say up front about this. Um, my history, my personal history, when it comes to giving to a church, as a church, um, has absolutely affected Redemption Peoria. So just my background, if you're not familiar, I come uh, from, well, my parents were drug addicts, didn't know about or anything about church, got saved in high school and got saved into the kind of the prosperity gospel charismatic movement, name it, claim it, theology. And a lot of that, what that did, I saw a lot of things that, that honestly, as we planted, I became not just fearful of, but adamantly opposed to um, from the blatant, right? Like being in rooms and seeing people as they, you know, they're called to write a letter of what they need, write on a postcard and, and put a check with it. And then being in rooms where those letters are immediately just thrown in the trash and the check is put, thrown in the trash, like just like caring about the sheep's wool and not caring for the sheep. And, and, and that's from like the blatant, but I've, I've been in rooms where it's been like sneaky, where I feel like there's moments where I, I sat there and was told outright, if you ever need anything and you're preaching, just mention it from the stage and someone will, will get it for you. Like, like to the, I, I'm kidding. I saw this happen twice. Once with a car, that uh, the pastor needed a car, and another time with an uh, iPad. Well, it'd be nice if I had an iPad. And of course, what, Monday morning, somebody's moved to give this guy an iPad. And so I, I and, and maybe there's a lot of good in that, and I'm not saying, but here's what I will say. Because of those interactions with um, taking advantage of people when it comes to money, because of the mantra of our culture around us that all the churches want your, wants your money, um, and the staff and the elders know this, there is a part of me that is kind of fearful going before us as a church and making this declaration to talk about tithe and giving because the reality is I'm afraid you honestly think I want your money and you won't hear that I really, really, really want you to know that God wants your heart. It's not about money. It's not, this is not the point that God's doing something more in this. And so um, because we haven't done that, we haven't, because of that background, we have not talked about money on a Sunday morning ever. We've talked about portions of it. We've devoted Sundays to prayer. We've devoted Sundays to Bible reading and meditation. We've even devoted a Sunday to fasting. We've never devoted a Sunday to giving. And this has affected our discipleship. It's actually, um, it's, it's done some crazy things that I, I think can, can be upsetting. But the reality is, as we look at scripture, about one-fifth to one-fourth of scripture talks about money. And as elders, there's just this sense of we need to simply repent. I know I need to repent and go, Hey, like we've talked about other disciplines and this is a discipline. This is something that needs to be talked about. Now, there's two effects that this has had on our congregation. I know this is a lot to set up, but I think it's worth it. There's two things that have affected us because we haven't talked about money and why we need to repent. Number one, everyone in the room who believes that you should give to a church does not have cannon fodder. You don't have anything to um, not lump yourself with the Kenneth Copelands and the Creflo Dollars and the Joel Olsteins of the world. Because the reality is your, your uh, non-believing friends go, you believe giving to the church and you do, but you don't even really theologically know why. Number two, this has affected our congregation. We as a congregation are terrible at giving. I wish I could say it lightly, but I'll just say it as it is. We're just not good at giving. Even of the nine congregations, we're in the bottom three of the nine congregations giving per person. The other two that we're with are West Mesa, 
which is a very poor congregation, and Alhambra, which is a very poor congregation in a poor neighborhood. And we're right there with them. And here, like, I don't think that's true. I don't think that's a demographic of, of our congregation. And so it seems that there's been something, not just within redemption congregations, but honestly, we are far below the national average. And so here's what I would say. If we could take a poll of how much you read your Bible, and we were to go, man, look at the, how much the average Christian says they read their Bible. Redemption Peoria reads their Bible far less. You would agree that we should talk about Bible reading on a Sunday. You would agree. Well, the same is true for giving. Matter of fact, let me give you some empirical proof of this. We took a survey uh, at the beginning of this year. Let me show you these results. Of the questions that we asked, some 40 questions, um, one of the two questions that we asked uh, in regards to finances was, do you financially give to Redemption Peoria? This was as of this year. Do you financially give to Redemption Peoria? If not, why? So just the top one is really important for you to see. 44% of people in this room said, no, I don't. So just roughly half, half of the people in this room said, no, I don't give to Redemption Peoria, okay? Now, if you go back and look at the other people who say they belong to Redemption Peoria is far more than half, FYI. And so there's something going on. And so we asked, if not, why? Um, there's a few numbers that I want you to see. The first one is 31% I have no income or can't afford it. I'll blow that up here in a little bit. Um, 16% says I give elsewhere, so I don't give to Redemption Peoria. Maybe you give to Young Life or whatever it is. 9%, I wouldn't consider this my church home, which is okay. I, I think uh, it's a conversation or bigger conversations we should probably have. 1%, I don't believe in giving to the local church. 2%, I never considered giving to the church, both of which are, are further conversations. And then the bottom uh, right one, 41% of people said, 41% of the 44% uh, uh, said none of these describe my reason. So they have another reason as to why they didn't give. But the point is this. Half of our church, half of the people who are here on Sunday morning say, no, I don't give to Redemption Peoria, which means I am, if I can cut the room and I'm talking to all of you, you don't give here. You don't give here. And so I want to talk to you about that. Okay. I want to talk to you about that. Okay. So um, here's what we're going to do. Because this is such a beast of a topic, um, I'm going to try to get, I, I do this probably two or three times a year where I have to stick to my notes. I'm not a big notes guy on Sundays, but I have to stick to my notes because this sermon, I told a few people of this, has killed me the last couple weeks. The amount of reading and time and research that it's taken doubled my prep time to prepare for Sunday mornings just because of how we're going to go through this and, and the knowledge that needs to be dropped because we feel like if that's true, all those statistics are true, which they are, um, the best way to attack this is giving you a theological framework for the Spirit to use. If nothing else, you can't walk out of here and go, well, I don't know what the Bible says about this topic. Let the Spirit of God do what he will if I can theologically inform you in that way. And so a um, few things on this. One, I won't quote other people. I'll even leave Spurgeon out of it. I'm just going to use text. Okay? So just be aware of that. Um, number two, this is definitely different if you're new. This will not be the case. Today I'm going to be extremely point-oriented. I got three points, six points, four points, five points. Okay? A lot of points to go through, which I think is going to be helpful. Uh, number three is, uh, as I stick to my notes, as I said before, my hope would be that you walk out of here, even if you disagree with where we theologically stand, you'll understand theologically why. That would be the hope. Okay? So here's the outline. Here's what we're going to do. I want to tell you the story of giving. And then I want to stop and, and look at some practical application points that we can extract from the story of giving in the Old Testament. Then I want to look at the story of giving in the New Testament. Same thing, practical points, what we, need, what we can draw from that. Then I want to look at 2 Corinthians, uh, uh, the, our passage for the day. So we'll get there. It's going to be a little bit different. We won't exegete that passage, meaning we won't go line by line, but rather we're going to kind of extract points that we can have from that. And then I have an important statement and some closing thoughts. So I'm going to try to do that in 30 minutes. Um, that's why we're going to start with prayer because it's a lot to do. So 
Let me pray for us. Father, thanks just for who you are. Thanks for the idea that uh, you've called us uh, to give, and unfortunately, we repent that we haven't responded in a lot of ways. Uh, So I pray that during this time, you would um, boldly come upon the scene and um, hostilely take over our hearts that seems to be adamantly opposed to you at times. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me read our passage. We're going to start there and we're going to end there. Here's our passage. It is a passage used all the time when it comes to talking about giving. It says this, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. That in itself would probably be where, for my old charismatic days, we would stop. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful uh, giver. Verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. What I want to do is I want to get to that passage by describing a larger context, and then a smaller context in the New Testament, even even smaller context in 2 Corinthians, and then the passage itself. So let's start with the larger context when it comes to giving. And my hope would be we understand tithing, giving, offerings, all of that by the end of the day. The first thing we have to start with is the idea that you and I, as human beings, not just believers, are wired in our DNA. We are created to give. This is the one thing that we have talked about, Redemption Peoria. And it's simple. When you open the Bible, what you find out is in Genesis 1, 1 through 25, that God owns everything. He owns everything. And when you get to verse 26, part B, you find that God gives everything away. He gives all that he has to mankind to subdue and to take care of. And so there's a principle we can understand from the jump. The first is this. If God owns everything, he gives everything away. We can see God as a giver. God at his being is a giver. He gives away. Well, 26A in Genesis 1 tells us that you and I as human beings, regardless of whether or not you're a Christian in the room, you are made in God's image. And if you're made in God's image and God is a giver, you're made to be a giver. You are created to be a giver. And so when you hoard, you're not actually finding joy. When you constantly spend on yourself, you're not actually finding joy. Uh, at the end of the day, you are working against your own humanity. So to truly be human, to, to fully lean into how God has made you, how you are wired, you are a giver. You are a giver. Now, that's just true of giving. But here's what we find. As Adam and Eve fall, mankind falls. Let's go through this narrative of giving. The very first thing that we see in chapter 4 of Genesis is we read this. I got a ton of verses. Very few of them are on the screen. So you're just going to have to listen and you can look these up if you want. Genesis chapter 4 verse 3. Right after the fall of mankind it says this. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the first fruit of his flock and their fat portions. So for the first time in the Bible, we have an offering. So right after the fall, we have this offering. Cain and Abel give this offering. But that's not really a tithe. The first mention of a tithe is found in Genesis chapter 14. And throughout the course of the the story of giving, a lot of this is going to be really important uh, as we move forward. But but listen to this in uh, Genesis chapter 14. There's this account where, I'll just tell it to you, uh, where Abraham goes and rescues his nephew Lot. On his way back, he runs into a priest. And as he runs into this priest, this guy named Achilzedek, we find out later in the Bible he's extremely important. He gives away 10% of his spoils to this priest. 
10%, a tie. That's what a tithe means, just 10%. He gives away 10%. Later on in the book of Genesis, we find that this is normal for Abraham, who God's people uh, grows out of. In Genesis 28, this is what Jacob, Abraham's grandson, says. He says this, and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth, which is important because from the jump we have Abraham giving, I don't think it just skipped Isaac and then went to Jacob. I think the ethos of Abraham's family, the people of Israel, because Jacob, his name will be changed to Israel. That's where we get the Israelites. All of the story of the Bibles built on this family. This family's MO was a tithe, this giving of this offering. That, that seems to be constantly in the flow of this narrative. Okay. Now, what we find ultimately is that people, and we're going to learn a, a ton of this in the book of Exodus as we start next week, those people are put in slavery, they're eventually freed, and as they're freed, God gives them a law. In that law, God makes what Abraham and his family were doing command. This is what it says in Leviticus chapter 27. He says, all the tithe of the land, whether of seed or of land or of fruit, he goes on, of tree, whatever, livestock is to be given to the Lord. A tithe, a tenth is to be given to the Lord. We come to find out why in this command. So the people of God have been giving. God says, I want you to give 10%. This is where we get the tithe from, 10%. The reason why I want you to give the 10% is found both in 1 Chronicles and in Kings. The reasons why, which I'll read in a second. But it's found ultimately in the narrative of Joshua. Here's what happens. As the people of God uh, get this land, God says, okay, I've given you this land. He looks at the 12 groups of people that are there. There's 12 groups of the people of Israel, these 12 tribes. And he goes, okay, you all can have a parcel of land except one group. So there are 11 sheets of land handed out. One group is left out. And this is why. God says, because I want that one group to be the priests for all the other 11 tribes. And here's what I want you to do. All 11 tribes, they weren't given, the Levites weren't given this tithe, or I'm sorry, they weren't given this land. So you're going to give 10% and you're going to give it to them. Now that's huge. Listen, the reasons, uh, again, are found in Numbers 18 and 2 Chronicles 31. It says this, since they would have no inheritance, the Levites, among the Israelites, the tithe was given to them for an inheritance, for their service, which they serve, even the service of the tabernacle and of the congregation. Second uh, Chronicles 31.5 says this, so that they would be encouraged in the law of the Lord. So this is important. Um, as I read and continue to study the story of giving in the Old Testament, I found that ultimately God desires his people to give a tenth of everything they have to him. But check it out there was no just random well in Jerusalem. You want to give your 10% to God? Just dump it in the well. He'll do something with it. Every single time God's people have been and still continue to be called to give, it is inevitably given to someone else. This is true of even just money you spend, but that's a whole other conversation. When you give money in the Old Testament, when you were to give money, it was to go to a people group. And this people group is the Levites. Even when there's disarray amongst the people of Israel, it was even going to the prophets. That ultimately God has called his people to give their money away to a certain group of people. Okay? Now that's going to be important, but we'll unpack that. Let's keep going through the narrative. A lot to cover. So here's what I did. In my research, I read, over the last couple of weeks, I read probably two and a half books 
on this, and there's been super helpful things to try to identify, but it seemed to be um, six constant rhythms in the Old Testament that I found about giving, and I hope this theologically equips you to understand how tithe applies to the New Testament. Um, So there's six points, so let me stick to my notes because I'll go off here. Here's the first thing that I noticed. Once the command of God is given to the people of God, you need to give 10%. The first thing that I noticed was throughout the whole story of Scripture, no one was exempt. From king to peasant, everybody was required to give a tenth. It didn't matter if you had one goat. It didn't matter if you had ten goats. It didn't matter if you had a thousand goats. I don't know how you give a tenth of a goat. They figured it out, okay? Uh, Number two, there seemed to be, and this this was crazy to me, a clear cycle that when the people of God are in trouble and in in rebellion, they weren't tithing. It's crazy. Like, uh, when everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes in Judges, here's, here's what happens. The people go into rebellion. Because they rebel, they don't give. Because they don't give, the priests aren't taken care of. Because the priests aren't taken care of, they can't advocate for the Lord. Because they can't advocate the Lord, they don't call the people back to God. And so it's this vicious cycle. It seems, as I studied the narrative of, of giving in the Old Testament, every time the people were in rebellion, it was immediately tied to giving as well. It's crazy. Okay. Number three, um, the point of giving in the Old Testament seems to be far more communal than individual. This is just a few examples. Moses turning the people away because they were giving so much for the tabernacle. Kings restoring the house of the Lord. You see this in the book of Nehemiah, uh, chapter 7 and chapter 12. They gave great uh, offerings and sacrifices. Um, there's even this decree that, that is made in Second Chronicles 24 that the king says, Go out into the city of Judah and gather all of, the Israel, um, all of Israel and their money to repair the house of the Lord. There, there seems to be in the, the rhythm of the Old Testament when it comes to giving, hey, we're doing this together. Number four, the prophets, uh, this was just an observation I made. The prophets talked about giving way more than I thought they would. I'll just leave that. There was in Malachi 3, 8 through 10 is uh, one of these verses that's always used when it comes to tithe. And in Malachi, I just, I, part of this is, is worth it. This is what he says. Uh, people of God are rebelling against God and God's all frustrated, which is constantly in the prophets, prophets. And he says this, from this day of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and you have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? You are robbing me, but you say, how have we robbed, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? So the prophets are always calling out, no, you're robbing me. This is God saying. And people are going, how are we robbing you? And he goes, because you're not tithing. You're not tithing which is interesting. Number five, um, giving in the Old Testament was extremely detailed. Matter of fact, there's an extra book that's not canon or biblical called the Talmud, which um, it's written um, to give details to an already detailed law, like to the point of having like mixed green seeds, which if you've never seen mixed green seeds are tiny, to parse those out, count every seed and make sure you give a tenth of those seeds. The Talmud uh, breaks down when a fruit can be given based on how ripe it is. I mean, it's very, very detailed. And then the last thing, which I think is important, all of the money was meant for three things. And this is good because this is what uh, propels us to, to the New Testament. As God says, give all this money to the priests, the priests are, co- are called and commanded even. It seems to me, as I read the narrative, and you correct me if I'm wrong here, they are called and told to give to three specific areas. Number one, the priests are to use their money to take care of themselves. I mean, they're, they're to have a living, they're able to eat the offerings that are, are presented before the Lord. Number two, the priests are to use those tithes to take care of the household of God. Meaning that means they need to build a temple or that means they need to work on temple sacrifices or take care of the orphans and widows within the, the, the people of God, first within the people of God. And number three, to take care of specifically the poor outside of the people of God. 
Those three things, the priest to be taken care of, uh, the household of God to be taken care of, and then the poor outside of the household of God. As I read through the Old Testament and trying to understand this narrative of giving, those three things kept coming back over and over and over again. And it's with that idea, it's with that idea that we begin to move into the New Testament and meet this guy, Jesus. Now, it's important from the jump we understand the Old Testament because Jesus makes this declaration in the New Testament. Listen to, to uh, Matthew five seventeen through 19. He, this is talking about Jesus, he was not to come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. And that whoever would do and teach the precepts of the law should be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So the declaration about Jesus is this. Everything you just learned in the Old Testament is not meant to be abolished, but it's meant to be fulfilled. Now, there's been insane amounts of ink spilled on trying to understand the Christian's responsibility to the law. Are we allowed to eat crab food? I don't know what I'm supposed to do. It's like, just eat the crab already. But, but how, however, however it's supposed to be played out, we do see Jesus in fulfilling the law does some pretty crazy things and kind of just turning this whole thing upside down. And one of the things that we find is Jesus is in an amazing way restoring tithing. In that, now hear me, this is going to be important. What he's doing is he, he comes on the scene and he sees all these people giving. And what he does is he points out to the, the people who are truly giving. And he points out the people who are truly not giving. A great example of this is a guy named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, by the Pharisees and Jews, is known as a sinner. And then, listen to this. You can read this whole account uh, in uh, Luke uh, chapter 19. This is the language that it's used. As he's called a sinner, he is, after he gives half of his belongings away, he's called a son of Abraham. Now, Zacchaeus, who's a sinner, is called a son of Abraham in giving. While all that's going on, he calls all the people, the people of God, the, the Pharisees and the Jews who are tithing a 10%, counting those mixed greens, veggie seeds, doing all that they can to live up to the law. This is what he says to them in Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, what I was talking about, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So he looks at somebody who gives in this free way half of what belongs to him and says, you're a son of Abraham. And he looks at these other people who are constantly giving. He goes, whoa, like, like this is not okay. And, and he, he calls this group the sons of Abraham. And he calls these group eventually snakes, which is huge, which is a big part of the narrative in, w- in w- the way that we can understand it. Because according to Romans 2.28, he who's a Jew is one who is circumcised at heart. What Jesus is doing is he's returning tithing to the family of Abraham. This is why our Old Testament knowledge matters. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, the family of God, gave far before it was a command. Before it was ever in the law, they started with 10%. And so Jesus is going, you're missing it. You see this as command. This happens to Bible college students and seminary students all the time. They enter seminary because they love Jesus and they love his word, but the Bible becomes a textbook and eventually they feel like it grows rote. Now I have to study it. I have to write papers on it. And this is what happened to giving. And so Jesus is going, you're missing it. Let me restore you as the people of God. And Jesus is constantly after the heart. He cares so little about like the amounts 
Um, he's so much more interested in like why and to who. Is it for God? Why are you doing this? He constantly goes after the heart. In Matthew, uh, actually, I'm going off my notes. I told you guys, don't let me go off my notes. Um, in Matthew chapter 6, he says this, When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that, you giving, uh, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. It's about the heart. It's not about just making this known or other people know. No, no, Jesus cares about here. He's doing something. Let's remember why Abraham gave. He wasn't forced to give. He ends up even telling us that ultimately in Matthew 25, when we give, we're not giving to man. We're giving to Jesus. This is how much of a heart issue it is. It's not just you. I, I need to know what this is. It's, it's you giving to Jesus. In Matthew 25, a lot of you guys are aware of this. For when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in sick, you visited me. When I was in prison, you, gave, uh, you came to me. This is what he says. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these brothers, you did it to me. He's tying all these things back to himself. Now, as like the story of the New Testament um, goes on, because it's all about the heart and how it started, I think there's something that we can acknowledge when it comes to the area of tithing. And that is, um, tithing is a great place to start, um, it seems from the perspective of Jesus, in that he's kind of going, I don't want 10%, I want all of you. And so as he restores tithing as to what it is, tithing is just like the rest of the law in the, in the New Testament. It's just like training wheels. It's put in place until you learn to ride freely. Nobody goes, no, 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 training wheels say I have to be here. But it's very helpful to train us to get there. And Jesus seems to be using the law in that way. So hear me when I say this. All of my kids, every single dime they get, they give 10%. This is true of the money they get from their their, uh, grandma and grandpa. This is true of money they may earn for working. This is true of their Christmas presents. Of their Christmas presents, they give one out of every 10 of those gifts. They give them to someone else. They tithe. Now hear me. If you were to ask my kids, hey, do you like... Why do you tithe? You tithe? They're going to go, well, let me take you through the narrative of giving. It started first in Genesis 4. No, 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 no. Right now, my hope as a father and Candace's hope as a mother is to train these little beings to be godly humans in such a way that they start with the tithe. They go, that's helpful for me to understand. But once I understand that Jesus is after my heart, I don't need the training wheels anymore. I don't need the training wheels anymore. And this is why the beauty of the book of Acts when it comes to the story of giving is the way that it is. This is why in the book of Acts we find in chapter 2, verse 44 and 45, John read this last week, and all uh, that believed were together and and had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods and parted them uh, uh, to all according to every man that they had need. Uh, Barabbas in Acts uh, chapter 4 sells all of his lands. In Acts 5, the people of God sell their stuff again and lay it before the leaders of the church. There's a part in Acts 10 where Cornelius is praying. An angel visits him, and this is the declaration. Your alms, or this, the giving away, your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. That God seems to be changing what the people of God, returning us back to what he wanted to do in Abraham. That there needs to be a freedom in this giving. Okay, so with that being the, the, the narrative in all of this, there are some observations that I think we can make as the people of God, even in the New Testament. And there's two big buckets of this. So if you can turn to, uh, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2. 
Before I get to the passage, like I said, we're only going to spend a few minutes. I'm on my last page here, but there's tons to cover here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, it's written by Paul who wrote 2 Corinthians, our passage that we have for today. There's this verse that we come now to find out as the people of God, you're not, Jesus does not want force giving because of the law, but Jesus does want force giving, but because of the heart. He wants you to go, I love you so much, I'm, I'm giving freely. For, like, we're compelled here, not just because we have to. And so what we find is the thread through the New Testament begins to pick up on, no, 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 wait a minute. As a believer, you follow Jesus, your heart has been changed. These are the things that we should see. There, there is, according to James, the law of liberty. Jesus commands us still. He still puts things in front of us. And through the epistles, we begin to see certain ideas. And chapter 16, verse 2 is one of these ideas. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2. It says this. It's the last chapter in the book of 1 Corinthians. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. Okay, so it's real simple. There's four observations. Let's get to some of these points that I've been super jazzed about to get to, okay? Number one, look. As in the law of liberty, as believers, we are called, and this is to give on the first day of every week. So hear me, this is the Lord's day, Sunday. We are to give once a week. All of us together are to give once a week. Second practical application. It seems that everyone is called to give here. Look at those three words, each of you. Each of us is called to give. Number three, giving is meant to be stored beforehand. So you're not like rolling up to church and going, I got this dollar right? It's meant to be stored up beforehand. And number four, giving seems to be in reference to prosperity as each, as he may prosper. So the more you give, or I'm sorry, the more you make, the more you have, the more you should be giving. That's those four simple practicals. The second bucket, um, lends its hand to understanding the New Testament in light of the Old Testament. And there are three observations that I made just kind of seeing the New Testament in light of the Old Testament. The first thing is this, um, and it's the main thing actually that I really want to focus on because of time. I'll probably just sit here for a second. Um, uh, as we looked at the Old Testament, I gave you, if you remember point six, uh, section A, letter four. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Um, on point six, I said that there were three things that the priests were supposed to give to. Do you guys remember that? So they were supposed to give, the priests were supposed to take care of themselves with the tithe. They were to take care of the household of God with the tithe. And they're to take care of the poor. Well, the New Testament rhythms pick up on this idea. So now, I want you to look at this. And you don't have to uh, turn there. You can if you want. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, it says this. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating of any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Skip to verse 13. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple, everything we've been talking about, Old Testament understanding, who are employed in the temple, get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? So he's going, remember the Old Testament priests? Well, we have leaders in the New Testament, right? We have leaders, uh, Ephesians 4, Acts 6. We have people who, who now, Paul's going to make this turn. In the same way that we see the priests in the Old Testament, look at these next words in, in uh, verse 14 of chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians. In the same way. And the way we can understand that these priests have been set aside and need to be taken care of by the communal body, a family of God, in the same way the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. And so the leaders are to take this money in the same way the priests are and to go, we need to identify some people that can serve us as a church. Now this is where I get super like leery of like bringing this up because what I'm essentially describing is this. 
part of your tithe money like pays for me and my family to live. Now, yes, I have the 10 car garage and the six cars and like, yes, <laughs> but that's me. And that's what I do. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Um, it's, it's important that, you know, I want, I, this is just a side note and the elders know this. We've talked about like, we are extremely, um, in a good way, fearful of that idea. We're mindful that everyone in this room is called to give as you give to the Lord. And in the same way you have to discern, um, how much you're to give and where you're to give, we as leaders discern uh, what we're to do with that money. And we take that very serious. And so part of that first thing is in the New Testament rhythm, priests, the people who proclaim the gospel are to make their living on the gospel. The second thing that we said, they're taking care of the communal good. We find this in Acts chapter two, verse 42. Again, that whole point of reference. Let's skip to verse 45. As it says, all, all these people were gathered together. It says, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all that had need. This is in Acts two. And David by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. There's a couple things that we can um, pull from this idea that sometimes is skipped. The first thing is this. When that money is gathered together, it's your money still. Meaning this, when you have a need and, and you're a member of Redemption Peoria, you've got to ask. As leaders, we go, we have things even put in place as RC grants to go, you need help. And like, it's our responsibility as leaders to take care of this body. And so we want to help. If you, you have more than enough, it's your responsibility to give into that way so that we can help those who need help. But uh, the second thing is, it's not just giving to the orphans and widows in our own congregation. This is a part of giving that people get real frustrated. I don't want my money to go to lights or speakers or like rent. Well, the reality is, it says they were gathering in the temple day by day and in homes. So I don't have nothing against the house church. I think in certain environments, like in Asia right now, the house church has to thrive in the way that it is. But the reality is in the early church, they were not just gathering in homes. They were gathering in Solomon's portico once a week as well. So what we find in early church history is eventually they're kicked out of the temple because the Jews don't want them there. They had to meet somewhere and it wasn't always bad when they started to build space. Yes, if you give to Redemption Peoria, your money goes to paying for the lights here, the, the, the rent that we have to give here, by God's grace, if one day we have a building, we're going to have to take care of all that stuff on our own. Yes, yes, it goes to brick and mortar. Yes, that's just true. But we seem uh, extremely convicted in the direction that that is how God has always called his people to give. And we're okay with that. And the third thing is that we're to give directly to the poor. I don't think I need to explain this one uh, outside of the church. It's something that we constantly do, teaming up with organizations that are outside of our church. And we have devoted Sundays uh, to talking about our responsibility to the poor. All of this being said, these threads of New Testament uh, lead us to our passage. So with five minutes left, uh, we finally get to our passage of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. With that in mind, all those things in mind, Paul gives us um, some important themes. He says this, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his own heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he quotes Psalm 112, 9 here, uh, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. And then we're going to do verse 10 and 11 here in a second. But there's three things that I think we can pull from this thing. The first thing, if you um, believe what I just said, that as a people of God, we are to give collectively to um, a body, uh, the first thing that I would uh, encourage you as Jesus is after your heart in this is, Jesus calls you through the Apostle Paul here to give sacrificially. Now, when I say sacrificially, what's great about the scandalous nature of Jesus is that there's no line there. Okay, 
sacrificially to you may not be sacrificially to me. And I don't just mean number-wise, but even how much I'm willing to sacrifice. Jesus have to, has to keep pushing me there. And I pulled this from verse 6 because it seems the word, that, that the word of the day in verse 6 is bountifully. We are encouraged to push to bountiful bounds. We're to move in the direction of, hey, listen, when I give it, it shouldn't be easy. It shouldn't be easy. Tim Keller says it like this. Um, Whatever you find that number you should give, you're here, go here. It it should be in this. So so that's important, right? Because whatever that sacrificial giving looks like, that's the direction we need to move. We should be giving out of our poverty, according to the widow's might in Luke 21. The second thing that I think is important, based on 2 Corinthians chapter 9, is we should also be giving cheerfully. We don't just give sacrificially, we also give cheerfully. And not just because God loves a cheerful giver, but more so the second, the two words there that I think are important are uh, reluctantly or under compulsion. The root word for compulsion literally means to raise your hand towards. So some of you grew up in church and you know church really well, and there was a fear you better give or else. And there's this compulsion like I have to. And that's, that's not the nature. Jesus is after the heart. And so listen, this is in our own house, just by way of example. Um, when it comes time for us to give, we've set things where we feel like this is giving and it hurts. It's not easy. It's sacrificial. But when it comes, we, we make the declaration, man, it would be easy to not give this money. It really would. We could help cover whatever we need to. Like, I need a new iPad or I need a new car or whatever. You know, I'm just saying, okay? <laughs> I, what I should joke about, shouldn't joke about. The point is, what. The $500 could be used towards something, right? Oh, dang it, I just said I meant to not say how much we give. Um, well, now you know. Now you know that I make a million dollars a year. So the fi- th- th- this money, this money is, is, meant, is set aside for us how much we're supposed to give every single month. But listen, we know it's difficult, but we're so jacked that we get to give. I'm telling you, like, coming from nothing, and the fact that I get to give more than I thought I would make in a month is insane. I love it, that, that we get to do this in such an amazing way. We're joyful about it. And that was true in the New Testament as well. And then the third thing that I want to pull from 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is, and this is important, um, sacrificially, cheerfully, and then the third one is intentionally. It, it, it seems as, as we go through the text here, um, as he has decided in his own heart, the word decided is the root word for purposed. And we talked about a few weeks ago, the Greek tenses. Guess what tense it's in? It's in the perfect tense. Meaning you make a decision... As a grown-up, you make a decision, I'm going to give this much, sacrificially and cheerfully. And then you give this much. And then you give this much. Again, you give this much. Again, you give this much. You intentionally go, here's what we're going to give. As an adult, as a mature believer in Christ, you go, this is what we're going to do. We're not doing it reluctantly. We're doing it cheerfully. And we're giving in this way intentionally. We're, we're plotting. We're, we're in, again, in the present tense, we're making a decision to continue to give that much. So here's the question that is to be asked. Uh, and I want to give an answer based on everything that I've talked about. If this has been more of a theological education and less of a sermon, I apologize, but we feel like it's important to get at some of this. Um, every single week, we're going to respond and saying that you can give to the boxes in the back or the number on the screen, right? And the language that we intentionally use is we give as a church, not to a church. And so um, I can't give you a command outside of what scripture commands you. But if I was to answer that question, how we would answer that question, what am I supposed to do as a believer at Redemption Peoria? What are you as leaders asking of me, specifically as members, what are you as members supposed to be giving as signed in the covenant? This is how I would answer the question, what does it mean to give to God as a church? Uh, This is how I would answer it. 
We together, I try to use every single word intentionally. We together should, all these intentional words, we intentionally, or we together uh, should give sacrificially, cheerfully, intentionally to the church we belong to, entrusting the leaders appointed to God, are appointed by God to that church to serve the congregation with those finances in three ways. By paying for some to vocationally work to serve in the body. Number two, providing communal needs as, as in a meeting place, financial support within the body. And number three, directly giving to those in need outside of our own meetings, outside of our own gatherings there. So that, that if you were to ask, what are we supposed to do? Now, there's a few observations that I think I need to make on this statement, um, and it's just two quick ones. Number one, I want to encourage you to, to remember that you are giving to God. You're not giving to Sean. You're not giving to Redemption Puria. You're giving to the Lord, and that makes a, disciple, a discipleship issue. And so it leans into the second point that I want to make based on this observation. Um, we need to be, as believers, as much as fake money is out there with the Creflo dollars of the world and the Joel scenes of the world, as much as that fake money is out there, that doesn't mean real money doesn't exist. That doesn't mean real giving. We can't swing the pendulum. I, I swung the pendulum and I went in this direction. I'm angry at everything I knew. We can't do that. And so listen, what we want to do when we get there is we want to control our money. And so it's hard for you to freely give because you're like, I don't really trust them. And that's hard. But see, what that's doing, it's unearthing something bigger within you. You've got to begin to wrestle. Well, am I giving to them? Because the reality is, man, I've regretted money I've lost. I've regretted money I've spent. I've regretted money that has been stolen from me. But I've never regretted money that I've given, ever. Because the reality is, I know I'm giving it to the Lord. And whatever happens, it happens. That's true for the panhandler, and it's true for the church. Even the money to Creflo dollar, uh, God blesses. Because those people, whatever, well, I won't even get into that. It's a longer story. So here's the second thing that I want to say. I do believe, based on the statement that I just made, what does it mean to give as a church? There is a special place for the church of God in the plan of God. And so a lot of you in that that thing that I put up, the graphic that we put up there, that you give somewhere else, I just want to say this to you. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm saying it seems in the narrative of giving, we believe that the church through Jesus Christ is the hope for the world. And so without the church, Young Life has nothing to stand on. Do you understand? Without the church, Ascend has nothing to stand on. Without the church, without the church, without the church, God has given the church because of Jesus Christ as his body, as the hope for the world. And this is the way that he puts us. And so we want to control that money. I want to give because I want this cause or whatever it is. That's not how we should give. Which leads us to where we close, verses 10 and 11 of our passage, the rewards So I love that the prosperity gospel has hijacked it, the rewards. Verse 10, he who supplies to the seed of the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Here's the first thing. When you give the right way, yes, you will be given back. Check it out. It may not be a check in the mail. You will grow in righteousness. When you give, your harvest will be righteousness. I promise you nothing else. Except, verse 11 says this, you will be enriched in every way to uh, to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Here's what's crazy. If we slow and plot steady in this way of giving, it's not just true that we'll be blessed in growing in righteousness, but yes, God will trust you as he's trusted you with little. He will trust you with more. And guess what? You'll get more. This is all, we're getting all kinds of uh, prosperity gospel. You will get more, but you're going to get more so you can give more. Do you understand? So we don't increase our standard of living. I make 40,000, 50,000, 60,000, 100,000, 200,000. And I just, no, 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 no. We're only getting more so that now we can give more. I have my standard of living. It's set. 
So I'm just upping my giving with every raise that I get. Process that for a little bit. That's the way of Jesus, okay? So I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to talk about a way that we can corporate really spawn together. I appreciate the time. I know today was a lot more heady than it is usual, but I hope you feel theologically equipped. Let me pray for you. Father, thanks so much for who you are. Thanks for your goodness and your grace towards us. A lot to be covered today, a lot, uh, a lot of scripture, a lot of ideas. And so I pray, Spirit, you would use the knowledge that's in front of us uh, to lead us in a direction. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.